That's an intense intro, isn't it? There you go. Oh, man, it's good to see you this morning. Uh, Those of you who are joining us online, welcome as well. We're starting a new series this week. Uh, Those of you who are like, what happened to Galatians? There's one more chapter, isn't there? And we decided to let you read that on your own. We wanted to kick off into a new series uh, that that we're excited about. I'm going to get into that just a moment. But I want to make a special plug for something. Um, Shortly after uh, my family and I got here, uh, we, of course, we were we were welcomed to um, the identity of of Wellhouse. We had known that for quite some time, watching you all over the course of years uh, serve your community, and that's just a part of what we want to do. That we want to bless our community, bless our world, and and so we started uh, several months ago having some conversations. Uh, with people in the community, with um, the city of Goodlessville and several other people. And I floated some ideas out for something called a day for good, uh, that we would partner with businesses and non-for-profits, churches, individuals in our community to, to have a day where we invested back into our community. And uh, all the people around the table said, man, that's a great idea, Steve. Thanks for bringing it. You be it. You, you lead us. Tell us what to do. We, we, we love the idea. Go for it. And, and I said, you know, one of the best things is that Wellhouse, uh, this is a part of our DNA. This is what we love to do. And so we want to uh, together do that. And so if you haven't already, mark your calendars uh, for July 24th. I believe that's correct, although I don't have my phone. 23rd, 23rd, thank you. Uh, July 23rd, which is a Saturday morning. It's just going to be a couple of hours right in the morning time, uh, right around 9 to noon. Uh, And we're going to be doing some service projects in the community. Here's the great news. Most of those are actually indoors where there's air conditioning. So that's even better, right? Because I know what you're thinking. Listen, Yankee, you have no idea how hot it gets here. Uh, believe me, I'm already hot. So, I mean, this, uh, I don't need to get any hotter. But and most of those things are going to be indoors, and we're going to get the chance to serve our community uh, together. And then afterwards, uh, we're going to go to City Hall and have some music and some food together and just celebrate. It's going to be a really great time. But we'd love to do that with you as we're going to be partnering with other businesses and uh, churches and organizations in Goodlettsville. So the, one of the ways that you can help out with that is if you're not already a part of the group, A Day for Good join on that, invite people to be out. And then this is really important. Register for the event. It's really quick, really simple. You can do it right there on the Facebook group. Uh, Let us know that you're going to be a part of that. We still need several people who are willing to kind of just be a job foreman. Now, you don't have to have any special skills. You just basically have to say when people show up there, hey, our job is to move boxes from this room to that room. That's as, that's as tough as it gets, okay? Uh, so just making sure that people know how to, to do the things that are there for that specific job. Uh, Wellhouse is in charge of that part, so we'll need several people just to, to, uh, to be a part of that. So if that sounds like something that you can do, telling people what to do, some of you are great at that, by the way, uh, then you come see me. I would love to, to hook you up with that. Uh, this new series I am really excited about. I'm really excited about, and I'll tell you, it's one that, man, it's been brutally beating me up over the last uh, couple of months as I've been thinking about it and preparing for it. Um, and, and, and looking at this idea, I will tell you that 
that a lot of the, the theme and message for this idea comes from a book uh, by, the, by a guy named Kyle Eidemann. Uh, and the book is called God's at War. There's actually, if you're a part, if you're on Right Now Media, you can go and see some of that stuff. It's right on there. And I encourage you to do that, maybe with a small group or with your family or just by yourself. It's a great additional resource. Some of the things that he'll be covering are different than what I'm covering, but it's the same theme. But I want you to, and I don't know, some of you maybe are great with imagination and others of you are more like me. I struggle in the imagination part, but imagine just for a moment that you are trying to explain or describe something that cannot be seen, can't ever be seen. And so you're trying to describe or explain this thing that can't be seen, can't ever be seen to somebody who doesn't believe it exists. How would you go about doing that? Well, this is the exact dilemma that Louis Pasteur was, was in when he found himself kind of talking about uh, what was the common theory of, of his day and age, which is in the in the mid-1800s, there was a theory going around, and the theory was called spontaneous generation. A spontaneous generation really believed that living organisms develop from non-living matter. Living organisms develop from non-living matter. So therefore, if we're going to take that idea and put it into a, a real-life practical concept, that you would say, all right, today we're going to, you're going to go home and you're going to lay out a you know, really nice piece of chicken or a really nice piece of steak on your counter. You're just going to leave it there today and tomorrow and you know, then Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. By, by Friday, your whole house is going to have a really nice odor to it, right? You already know that. And there's going to be weird things growing on it, right? And by, by Saturday, those things are going to be like purple and black, right? It's going to be gross. Well, what spontaneous generation believed about that was that, that living organisms, germs, bacteria, mold, those things developed from non-living matter. So those things kind of just arose from those places. That's what they believed at the time. And so they just believe, you know, like eventually all things kind of rot or all things kind of have this bacteria or all things kind of develop this mold from non-living matter. And so over the course of time, as Louis Pasteur is, is doing all of his research and looking into things, he realized that there's something called germs. And there's these little things that you can't see, but they're making you sick and they're everywhere. And so what he had to do in the course of his research and study and education was to try to help people understand that there are some things that are involved in life, involved in life that, that you can't see, but that are making you sick. And so it might be a good idea, doctors and nurses, to wash your hands from germs before you touch patients. And it might be a good idea, right, to, to, to make sure you cover a cough so that you don't spread more germs to other people. And thus, he developed something called the germ theory. And our society today works off of this idea that there is something that we can't see, these little tiny bacteria, these little tiny germs, that even though we can't see them, they wage war with us every day. 
And over the last couple of years, right, we've, we've been kind of neck deep in this, haven't we? In many different ways. This is what I'm going to try to, over the next several weeks together, walk through. And I realize I have an uphill battle as we talk about this theme of idolatry. And when I talk about the word, I realize that I have really two areas that, that I'm going to have to jump over and they're going to be difficult ones. The first one is that idolatry is a real issue that we face today. That when we think about idolatry, really what, what we kind of conjure up, what I conjure up in my mind is something that is outdated. It's something that we see, you know, back in the Bible times or the, the Old Testament times where they would form something out of wood or they would form something out of metal. And then they would bow down and worship that. And we would say, listen, that's archaic. That's outdated. That's not anything that we would ever do today. That's laughable. And so the, the understanding that idolatry is something that we still face today. And then the other hurdle that I'm going to have to jump over with you is the fact that when I get too close to home, that you, weren't, you won't turn tail and run. Because what I'll tell you is over the course of the last few months as I've been walking through this and God's been kind of saying, all right, Steve, listen, if you're going to preach on this, then you might want to try applying some of this to your own life. And as I did, I was like, ooh, I don't know that I want to do that. I, I don't know that I want to preach on that. I'm not, I'm not really sure. Are we sure that that's really an idol? Because I just think maybe that's, that's something that's a part of life. You know, well, let's just call that this part of life. This is what, that's what happens when we live. And so there are two huge hurdles, but here's what I have wrestled with enough that I think I can tell you confidently is when God begins to work in the Holy Spirit and it starts to make you uncomfortable, stay there long enough for God to show you what direction he wants you to go. Don't be so quick to run away. As we look at this idea of idol, I oftentimes think it's really important for us to to define terms. I think too often times this is, this is what gets us trouble in today's life. We don't define terms well enough. And so we think we're talking about the same things when oddly enough, we're not, we're not even on the same page or sometimes in the same book. Idol can mean any person or thing regarded with blind admiration or adoration or devotion an idol can mean a, a false conception or a false notion. But as we define it throughout the course of this series together, this is what I think idolatry is. Idolatry is anything that you seek out in hopes that will give you what only God can give you. Idolatry is anything that you seek out in hopes that it will give you what only God will give you. Now, I'll be honest, I don't know what that is for you. You may not know just yet what that is for you, but I hope over the, the course of time, we'll, we'll flesh that out and we'll be able to see what it is that maybe there's some things in your life that you're not even knowingly seeking out, but you're hoping that you're going to gain something from that, that really, truly is only something that God can give. Before we jump into our reading today, and we're going to be in Joshua chapter 24, so if you want to, you can go ahead and flip on over, scroll on over there. I want to catch you up on about 400 plus years of history. 
Where I want to start with is what is happening at the beginning of Joshua chapter 24. Joshua has has gathered all of the Israelite nation together and he is about to die. And so he gathers them together and he retells the story. This story that happens, it begins in Genesis chapter 12 when when God calls out to Abram and he says, listen, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to make your name great and all the people on the earth are going to be blessed through you. You're going to be a blessing to them. And I'm going to give you a land, a promised land. And it's going to be amazing. And then he sends Abram off and, and, and Abram takes what little bit he has. And all of a sudden, offspring begin to arise out of that more and more and more and more plentiful. And eventually we read about Joseph and he goes to Egypt and he becomes second in command and, and, and really begins to uh, take notoriety there. And the Egyptians recognized through over the course of time that this this group of people, this Israelite people, they're they're starting to outnumber everybody and they feel them as a threat. They feel that their power is slipping away. And so they take them and they take these people and they make them into slaves. And so they spend the next 400 years in slavery. And eventually a guy named Moses who is raised up, uh, he is an Israelite, but he's raised up under the uh, Egyptian authority, recognizes what's going on. He leaves, but God calls him back and he leads the nation of Israel out with God's guidance and direction. He leads them out of slavery and he leads them to the promised land. The problem is, is that you and I both know, right, that, that going through the wilderness, whatever the wilderness is in your life, isn't easy. How many of you have been through the wilderness part of your life before? Been there? If you haven't been there, hang on tight, all right? It's coming, right? And if you've been there before, chances are you're not done, okay? Moses leads the people through 40 years of wilderness living, they're getting ready to enter into the promised land. And, and, and God says, hey, listen, you're not going to be able to enter Moses. You got to carry, you got to hand it off to a new person. He hands it off to Joshua. Joshua helps them charge through. And then they take a hold of this promised land. And it is as big and as beautiful and as meaningful as they ever thought possible. Happily ever after. And they have everything that God promised. And they're living in the promised land. And this is where our story takes place today. As Joshua summarizes all of that for the people listening that day. This is what he says in Joshua chapter 24. You might be familiar with this verse, starting in verse 14. He says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. All right, listen, now that God has shown you over time, over hundreds and hundreds of years, how faithful he is, Serve him and be faithful. Throw away the gods of your an- that your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and back in Egypt. You, you know the time where, where, where your family, this is the things that they held on to and it's, it's not God. He says, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, that's not what I want to do. That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem fair to me. I mean, that, that, that seems uncomfortable. It goes against the things that, that make me feel good. 
And he says, then choose for yourself this day whom you're going to serve. Whether it's the gods of your ancestors who you served in the Euphrates or the god of the Amorites whose land you're living in. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And then he goes on and, and he charges them and they said, oh, listen, we're not going to serve any other God. You don't have anything to worry about. And he says, no, 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 are you sure? Because you really need to be faithful to God. Listen, God loves you and he wants to give you this. But if you, if you turn away from God, man, it's not going to be good. And they're like, no, 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 we promise, we promise we're, it's going to be good. We're going to destroy all those things. You know the rest of the story, don't you? That they keep going back to the idols that enslave them. I believe that we're not far off from them. Now, I know that we don't make a calf in, in, in golden form. We don't bow down and worship him. We don't you know, paint little images, but I wonder if there are idols in our life that we keep going back to and Joshua kind of, he has a couple of key points that, that he brings out to the Israelites that I think are helpful for us to take note of. The first one is this, that worship is unavoidable. You notice this, that he says, choose this day whom you will serve. As if there was no option. Like you're going to serve somebody at some point in time. However, what you worship is up to you. Joshua doesn't say there's an option to worship something. Worship is something that just happens in our life. Some of you might be familiar with an author named David Foster Wallace. He's an author, thinker, professor who died in, I think, 2006, but very profound writer, not a Christian, but shortly before his death, he wound up committing suicide. He wound up giving a commencement speech. It's, it's pretty noteworthy and uh, packed full of a lot of really interesting ideas. And you can tell that, that David Foster Wallace, as he was giving the commencement address, was really wrestling through some things. And a part of the talk that he gave is interesting, and it has to do with uh, idolatry. This is just a small excerpt of what he has to say again, uh, not a Christian, but this is what he says. You get to decide what to worship, because here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is that we get to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it Jesus Christ or Allah or Yahweh or the Wiccan mother goddess or the noble truths or some involatable set of ethical principles is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, 
If they are what you tap into the real meaning of life, then you will never have enough. You will never feel like you have enough. It's the truth. If you worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, then you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already, and it's been uh, confided as the myths or proverbs or cliches or parables, the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is to keep the truth in front of you daily, in front of your consciousness. Worship power, and you will end up feeling weak and afraid. You will need ever more power over others to numb yourself of your own fear. Worship your intellect to be seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid. You'll feel a fraud. You'll always feel on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is that they're, they're, not, uh, is that they're evil, or not evil or sinful, that they're just unconscious. They're a default setting in our life. They're the kind of worship that you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's really what you're doing. And the so-called real world will not discourage you from operating on your default settings because that so-called real world of men and money and power hums merrily along in a pool of fear and anger, and frustration, and craving, and worship itself. Our own present culture has harnessed these forces in a way that have yielded extraordinary wealth and comfort and personal freedoms. The freedom of all to be lords of our tiny skull-sized kingdom, alone at the center of all creation. And this kind of freedom has... Uh, has much to recommend it. But of course, there are all different kinds of freedoms and the kind that is most precious, you will not hear much talk about in the great outside world of wanting and achieving more and more. The really important kind of freedom, he says, involves attention and awareness and discipline. Being able to truly care about other people and to sacrifice for them over and over again in a myriad of petty and unsexy ways every day. What's interesting to me about this that, that David Foster Wallace points out is, is a couple of things. The first one is that we don't get the choice to not worship anything. We're going to eventually worship something. Now, we oftentimes use the word worship in a church setting as we gather around, and many times we wind up talking about uh, singing songs, and that's a form of worship. But really, when, when we talk about this idea of worship, it's that our life centers around an idea. And, and as David uh, Foster talks about, he, he really says, listen, it's a default setting. It's so unconscious. It's not that we kind of outwardly make this decision and say, I'm going to go for that thing. He says, you got to be really careful and aware of it because the world around you encourages you to kind of just go for a default setting. We talked about this uh, last week, that it's the pattern of this world, that if we're not careful, we kind of get strapped into it. 
And here's what I believe is true about idols. And what I found in my life and in the life of a lot of people that I've taught with over the years in various counseling sessions when I talk to couples who have been married or struggling with kids or struggling with finances or just struggling in general, is that the root of most of our problems is found in an idol that we worship. See, we begin to kind of treat the symptom of the problem, but we've never gone far enough back to really dig out and, and understand the root of the issue that there's an idol somewhere along the line that we have chosen to root ourselves in. And it may look like self, that man, I just want things to go my way or I want to be happy. At the end of it all, I just wanna be, I, I wanna be happy in me. And for some of us, it's this constant pleasure. Man, I just, I just, I just wanna be pleased. And so we fill our lives with entertainment, sex, and power, all trying to serve this idol of pleasure. And ultimately, we can never satisfy it fully. David Foster Wallace, and I believe that Joshua would say the same thing, is that, listen, if you give yourself into an idol, anything other than God, it will eat you alive. Think about it just for a moment. Do you remember the first job that you had as a kid? How much money did you make? Shout it out. If you remember. A dollar an hour? 60 cents. All right. Yeah, he's old. <laughs> Not enough. Yeah. One of the first jobs I had, was I was a newspaper boy. And I got 50 cents every time I got somebody to sign up for the paper. 50 cents. So I would knock on the doors and I'd say, hey, have you ever, you know, have you ever subscribed to the Anderson Herald Bulletin? And they would be like, no thanks, kid. You know, next door. Have you ever subscribed to the Anderson Herald Bulletin? No thanks. You know, door after door after door after block after block after block till finally somebody's like, yeah, maybe. Now here's what you would do if you got a maybe. You'd say, listen, I, I how about I give you one week free because they'd always give free papers. Let me give you one week for free, and then if you really like it, then, then maybe we'll sign you up. That'd be great. And out of that, I might make 50 cents. And I remember the time when I made like $18 an hour, you know? I thought, wow, $18 an hour? And if you'd have told that little nine-year-old boy who was rocking around door after door, like, hey, you know how you're making 50 cents now? You make $18. I would have been like, I'm a millionaire. I'm just going to quit now. <laughs> Go back in time and tell that little person of yours how much you eventually made over time, and they would be so impressed. But you know, here what's, here's what's funny about it is that now it doesn't feel like that much, does it? Because there's an idol at work in you. I'm telling you, there is a war for you right now. Whether you feel it or you don't, that's constantly, subconsciously undermining the authority of God in your life. 
that we constantly need more. We constantly need more pleasure, more things, more of all of these things other than God that will help us really feel secure. I'm, I'm a true believer in this. I talk about this uh, a lot of times, especially with married couples, that I think God puts together two different kinds of people who look at money. One of those groups of people, and this might be you, you look at money as opportunity. You get a hundred bucks and you think, man, I could think of a hundred different things to do with a hundred bucks. And then there's people like me. I see, I see money as security. And I think a hundred dollars, you know, great. Let's put it in the bank. We'll save it for a rainy day. You never know what could happen. There's two different kinds of people. But here's what I found about this. No matter what side you're on, it's never enough. The opportunity people will say, man, if I only had $101, then I could buy that thing. And the money security people always say, yeah, $100 in the bank is great, but $200 would be even better. Because we, we always need more because whatever you idolize other than God will eat you alive. Joshua says that we worship three things. The God of our past, he says, listen, you can go back and worship the God of your ancestry. The God of our society, he says, listen, you conquered this land, you're, you're in this land, you're in this uh, society, and you can worship what's going on in society or you can worship God. And I think those things are still valid today. I think sometimes we can default into worshiping our past in two ways. One of those ways is nostalgic. For some of you, you man, you grew up in great homes with great families doing great things. And your quest is to go back. It's like rose-colored glasses. You're like, man, if I could just recreate, somehow just recreate that feeling, recreate that thing, if I could just duplicate that in some way, man, wouldn't that be great? And all of a sudden we begin to idealize or look at the past as an idol. For some of us, it's an idol that we can't escape. It's wounds that, that were somehow passed down to us They've been so ingrained in us that it seems like we can't outrun them. And so we walk around with things in our head from the past, from past worship experiences, not in churches, but in life. I don't know about you, but sometimes the older I get, the more I see my parents and me. I'll say something, I'll be like, man, I sound just like my dad. My dad would have totally said that. I'm like, what happened to me? <laughs> I used to be cool, I think. I'll say something or I'll do something, I'll be like, man, my mom would totally have done that. Where'd that come from? Have you been there before? And I think if we're not really careful... We can feel stuck in idols that have been set up from the past and feel like we have to succumb to them. Like if we don't eventually say, you know what, I'm kind of my own person now and now I get to make the choices of the things that I'm going to worship. 
that those things were meaningful and significant then, or those things were priorities then, but now I choose, as, as Joshua says, choose this day who you're going to serve. See, one of the best things I think you could do in life as an adult is to begin to parent yourself. See, parents, we're great at parenting our kids. We have all the right answers in the world. It's easy to parent your kids. But have you ever tried to parent yourself? I, don't, I wouldn't do it that way. L let, me, let me show you the right way to do that. Oh, no, 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 no. If you really want to be successful, how about you? Why don't you spend a little more time in the Word? Why don't you do See, I think one of the best things we can do for ourselves is to begin to parent ourselves. Instead of looking at the past and what did or did not happen, we look at today and we make a step today to what we will in our life worship. The second thing that Joshua points out in this is that we can worship the idols in our society, what's happening right now. And I'm telling you, it's never been more prevalent and in our face of opportunities for us to worship. It's all over the place. It's just the access for us to have those things are right there. And what I will tell you is this. Idols look appetizing because they reflect what we want. This is the tricky thing about idols. It, it looks like something we really, really like. Over the last week or so, I've been, I've been really trying to commit myself to, to going to the gym and, and, and sitting down at the equipment. And I'm thinking eventually I'm going to do something there, you know. I'm kidding. I, I do some things, but not impressively. But I look around at all the people that are in there. And I'm thinking, you know, like, man, I would love to look more like that. What do I got to do? <laughs> this. Okay, I don't want to do that. But when we look around the world and we see the things we want, that's when we're tantalized, right? That, that's, that's when it becomes alive for us. And something in our brain kicks in and says, listen, go for it. But we have to be careful because those things will eat us alive. Band, if you'll come on up to the stage as we kind of close out a few thoughts together. So I want to challenge you with a couple of things as we look forward to this series together. We're going to run this series all summer long. I know what you're thinking. Oh, man, I don't know if I can handle that. I think it'll be really good. And I really want to encourage you to think about inviting somebody who you might be able to talk through these things with together. Somebody who may need to hear this message along with you. But I want you to wrestle with this week five questions as you can begin to contemplate what are the idols that might be happening in your life? And here's the questions. You can write them down if you'd like. The first one is this. What are your biggest disappointments? If you want to identify the idols in your life, what are the biggest disappointments that you face? The things that you expected to happen that didn't happen, and you're married and you're thinking, man, I thought my spouse would be so much better, so much different, or whatever it is, but maybe it's the idol that, that you thought marriage was going to be the answer, and then it wasn't, and it completely let you down. What are your biggest disappointments? Number two is this. 
Where do you go for comfort or to decompress? Sometimes we can have the, the idol of checking out, the idol of entertainment, the idol of, of soothing ourselves over various pleasures. Where do you go for comfort or to decompress? Number three is this. What are your dreams? Or maybe what are your nightmares? What are the things that you think, oh man, I, I could never live another day if that happened. Or man, I would totally be on top of the world if I ever made, if I ever accomplished, if I ever got there. Number four, where do you sacrifice your resources? Resources might be time or energy or money. Where do you sacrifice them on the altar of everything else? All things stop when it comes to that. And the last one is this, what upsets you the most? I think in this world, it's easy to see, isn't it? It seems like our world is so upset about everything. Maybe we put the idol of our own opinion up on an altar too high. What upsets you the most? See, here's the thing. I think there's a lot of really great things. Family, friends, security, homes, jobs, money. And these are all really, really great things. But when we elevate them and, and hopes that they're going to give us something that only God can give us, we'll be sorely mistaken. And what I think I found is this, that idols are often formed when we take good things and elevate them to the most important things. And so the quest over the next couple of weeks together is, what are those things in our life? Can we find them? And then can we, as Joshua says, eliminate them? And that's his charge. Listen, will you, will you look at it and then will you eliminate it for good? Because if you don't, it's killing you. Would you pray with me? God, we are so thankful for you. And God, we confess that, man, there, there is way too much of our time, energy, resources, our headspace and our heart space that is consumed with idols. And it sounds silly. It sounds archaic. It sounds old fashioned to say it that way, but it's true. Some of us, man, we idolize our image and how we appear to other people. God, some of us, we, we idolize our health or we idolize our family or God, we idolize pleasure. We idolize finances. We idolize our kids. We idolize our parents when truly the only thing worthy of worship is you. So God, would you help us take good things and leave them as good things and to elevate only you in this life, recognizing that everything else will just eat us alive. God, we want to be full of you and nothing else. So God, over the next couple of weeks together, as we join together and we invite others to be a part of this conversation, God, would you convict us? Would 
you challenge us? Would you give us the courage to move forward in eliminating the things that you need us to eliminate so we can serve you better? God, we pray all of this in the power and might of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand with us as we worship?